Welcome to the Jazz Shapers podcast from Mishkondorea. What you're about to hear was originally broadcast on Jazz FM. However, the music has been cut or shortened due to rights issues. This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. Listening colour in partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Good morning and welcome to Jazz Shapers. It's where the shapers of jazz, soul and blues join forces with the shapers of business. I'm sure you know the drill. Our guest today is Aaron Gelbard, the co-founder and CEO of Bloom and Wild, the flower delivery service. Aaron co-launched the business in 2013 after being personally disappointed with the customer experience of buying flowers online and noticing how inefficient the supply chain was. His aim to make sending and receiving flowers the joy that it should be. Bloom and Wild, which Aaron predicts will overtake into Flora, the biggest florist chain in the UK, of course, within four or five years, created the signature award-winning idea of letterbox flowers, enabling a bouquet of fresh flowers to be delivered through a standard UK letterbox. And it's the first florist to create a constantly changing range at a scale they describe as fast fashion for flowers. Hello. Hello. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. Where did you get this idea from? Tell me about that to start with, because I know you set the business up back in 2013. Did you have a passion for flowers, or is this much more of a, I'm a technical guy, technology guy, business guy looking for an idea? Uh, neither, you have to be honest. You have to be honest, Aaron. Neither, really. I had a, had and still have a passion for making people pleased, getting good feedback, that sort of reinforcement. And for years, uh, that meant I would sort of, you know, try and do a good job at school or at my first couple of jobs. And then I guess I realized that I could do it at a much bigger scale if I tried to set up my own business in a space where you're trying to please people en masse. And I'd had so-so experiences sending flowers lots of times. Everyone I knew, know, had so-so experiences sending flowers as well. And so I thought, could we make a better flower company, use technology, use innovative packaging and make it brilliant, which is what it should be. I mean, that sounds ridiculously sweet in, a, in, a, in the nicest way. And I don't mean that in a, in a strange way at all, in the sense that you really were just wanting to fix a problem which for you was important. But the output is, as you said, happiness. It's not often I hear that as a reason to set up a business. What enabled you to know where to start doing that? What do you think? Because obviously you're often on this programme, I have the people who left school at 16 or you know, just about to start uni, don't bother. And then I have people like you who've got a degree from Oxford, they've got an MBA from Harvard, and then they've done some really interesting roles at management consultancies, as you have, and so on. What do you think enabled you of all those different things to actually piece this together and get the business off the ground? I was really lucky with where I got to work, and I learned about um, a few industries. I worked mainly as a consultant with uh, retail, consumer products and tech companies. So I became interested in those industries and in how they were sort of merging together with direct-to-consumer e-commerce brands. So I became a sort of uh, student of uh, that space and just found it really interesting how companies were springing up and doing things in a better way. A guy that I was at university with runs Grays, the snack box company, and I'd followed their progress with interest. I thought that was really innovative in a different space. I also thought it was really cool that they were doing snacks that fit through the letterbox. And one of the problems with flowers is that the person who you're sending them to has to be in to receive them. So I wondered whether we could do flowers through the letterbox too. And that was a big part of what attracted me to the space. It felt like a really good solution to a problem. 
And then now I'm combining wanting to make people happy with the experience you had and the interest that you showed in that confluence of retail and technology with the missing piece for me, which is so you wanted to do something for yourself. And if that's true, why? I did want to do something for myself. My dad's an entrepreneur. Both my granddads were entrepreneurs. And I guess it was something that I always wanted to do. It wasn't something that I had the confidence to do um, out of university. And it wasn't something that I had the money to do out of business school because I had debts to pay off. But it was something that I hoped to do at some point, and it felt like the right time in life. We didn't have kids yet, and it felt like it was okay to take a risk, and consulting would still be there if it didn't work out after a couple of months or years or whatever. In terms of those first few months of setting up this business and the people you had to assemble, the technology you had to get in place, one thing going from concept and from theory and from advising other people then you're thrown and you're doing it yourself. What was the biggest surprise to you of that process of actually doing it? I think the biggest surprise at the beginning was how difficult the technology was. We we budgeted £3,000 to build our website out of our savings and we've literally spent millions uh, later and we're still building our website and making it better and, and we totally underestimated how difficult it would be there's a totally different way of working effectively with software developers, how to motivate them, how to get them excited about what you're doing and how to get them to sort of achieve the quality that you're looking for. And it costs money and it takes a lot of time. That was the single biggest surprise at the beginning. And of course, more and more businesses are now technology based, they're software based, they're user experience based, minimum viable products and all the, and the rest of it. How do you encourage and inspire and how do you translate what's in your head and in your heart into technology-driven people? Over time, we've uh, developed what's called a product function, which is a, a group of people that are product people on our team. And their job is to understand uh, what customers want, look at customer feedback, focus groups, etc., understand what business stakeholders are trying to achieve, and turn that into what features that we're going to build for our website. And I, I work with our product team to try and shape that. I've got a lot of ideas myself. I spend a lot of time reading customer feedback daily, and that's really helpful for figuring out what's working, what's not working, what we should do more of but it's, it's a full-time job that I never heard of when I started the company. And do you have those aha moments, you know, when you're not at work, when you're with your family, you're getting back from the, the office, where you go, hold on a minute, that's how you crack it. And if so, do you scribble? Do you make a note to yourself? What do you do to ensure that you don't lose that little little glimpse of creativity? I do have them all the time, and I have a terrible memory, so I write myself an email, and then... Uh, my inbox becomes my to-do list and my source of ideas, and then I chat to somebody about it when I'm in the office. So, yeah, all the time. And in terms of those ideas, are the ones that get through the ones where you are most you passionately articulate them, or are they because they are intrinsically the best ideas? Because there is a difference, isn't there, between something that's brilliant that you just can't convey versus something you convey which may not be as hot. I try not to make it just my ideas getting through. I hope that it's um, the team's best ideas that get through. Some of them are mine. Most of them aren't mine. We try to try to focus on a few sort of metrics of how we're doing as a company. The most important one is our net promoter score, which is people's likelihood of recommending us to their friends. And when there's there are new ideas to evaluate against each other, we try to assess them against that and figure out what's going to make the most difference in building up our advocacy amongst our customers. 
Just before we go to the new sessions, what's your your 75 plus is a really good score, I think, on a net promoter uh, score level. What's yours? Are you going to tell me? Thank you, I will. Ours is 87 at the moment. Look at that. A-class student sitting right in front of me. Now he's doing it in business as well. It's so annoying. Uh, stay with me for much more from Aaron Gilbert, my business shaper today, CEO and co-founder at Bloom and Wild. Right now, though, we've got some more from our new sessions. I just mentioned it. It's a little taster. You can find all of these on the major podcast platforms. It is Paddy O'Connell with the help of Mish Gondare, exploring the world of cryptocurrency and bitcoins just for you. The new sessions with Paddy O'Connell in partnership with Mish Gondareya. It's business, but it's personal. Just FM. Hello, welcome to the new sessions. I'm Paddy O'Connell. In the past few years, whole currencies have been invented called cryptocurrencies, which have absolutely nothing at all to do with the bank of any country. Today, we're going to open the vault of mystery about something now worth billions of pounds to ask what's in it for you and what about safety and tax. Here from law firm Mishkondorea, our tax lawyer, Helen Cox. Hello, Helen. Hi there. And cybersecurity lead Joe Hancock. Hello, Joe. Hello. Now, what people are really looking at is they're looking at investing in Bitcoin. Um, people are some, sometimes holding that longer term to see if the value rises again. And people are, are playing around with it. It's it's an interesting new phenom- phenomenon. And people are buying in one cryptocurrency, converting that into another cryptocurrency, seeing what happens mm. with values. So, I mean, people love to invest in anything, don't they? From pork bellies to Krugerrands. So, guess what? People are thinking. Oh, I'll buy a Bitcoin at 4,000, and in two weeks it could be worth 4,100. I mean, it's that volatile. That's what's happening. People are using it as its own market, really. It's gone from a currency to a marketplace. Yeah, definitely. You see people trading between Bitcoin and other kind of currencies. I mean, some of the original transactions were were criminal in nature. Uh, It's Bitcoin and and other kind of currencies uh, have been trying hard to shake off that kind of past criminality. It has strong associations with things like online drug dealing. Lots of um, cybercrime uses Bitcoin, these cryptocurrencies, because some of them are anonymous, some of them are pseudo-anonymous. And so they presented a bit like cash, a bit of a haven for criminality. That's not necessarily where we are today. Um, Criminals have moved to other currencies within the crypto world, Bitcoin is now pretty much clean but you, you know you are seeing everything from you can get a debit card now that you can use to pay for things that will will debit you in bitcoin um, but you don't really see anyone taking it on the high street yet it really is if you just look at bitcoin really is a store of value people are holding on to it a bit like you'd hold on to gold mm. and, and i've mentioned wild west that's another one as well isn't it yes there's uh, i mean the last time i checked there was 1400 or 1500 different kind of cryptocurrencies or kind of wow. coins from bitcoin uh, and there's new ones being added every day it's so easy to go out and set up your own currency all you need to do is get some people to accept it uh, and at that point you know the, the value will potentially rise the new sessions podcast with Paddy O'Connell from Mishkondorea. Find more of the new Sessions podcasts dealing with key legal matters on iTunes. There are absolutely loads of ways to hear this very programme, plus hundreds of former guests on the show. Here's the first. You can ask Alexa to play Jazz Shapers, and there you can hear many of the recent programmes. Or put in the words Jazz Shapers into iTunes or any other of your podcast platforms, and you'll get the full archive to revel in, including our special Shaper on Shaper editions, where past guests interview each other on where they and their businesses are right now. But back to where we are, and we are with Aaron Gelbart. He's our business shaper today, CEO and co-founder at Bloom and Wild, and they're the people that deliver flowers, not to your porch, not outside your door, but no, ladies and gentlemen, right inside your very letterbox, which is actually brilliant. Because, again, your point about you know dissatisfaction of delivering flowers, it is a pain, and you have kind of gone to the, to the heart of it. Are there other things that are obvious 
within the flower delivering world that you're looking at? Because that seems such an obvious innovation and yet no one had done it before. Are there others that are just there and I don't know about them? There are lots of other things we do. We put nets around flower heads to some varieties of flowers to transport them. This uh, really helps uh, protect and slightly compress flowers in transit. It means they don't bash about in a box and it means that flowers arrive in much better condition. We got the idea for that from buying Christmas trees where there's a big net around the Christmas tree when you buy it and put it in your car so that it doesn't go everywhere. And actually that uh, gave us the idea for doing Christmas trees through the letterbox, which we now do as well. What's interesting to me about, about what you do, Aaron, is that there's a user experience online, there's a user experience to think about with the app, and there's also, of course, the user experience of receiving the flowers. Is any one of those more important than the other, or does it fall apart if all of it isn't brilliant? It all has to be brilliant, but we, we think about it. We have separate teams that are doing what we call digital user experience and physical user experience. Oh, well, there so, you go. Look, I nailed it. How about that? You did. Complete, um, complete luck. So the, um, the digital user experience across our app um, and our website is about making it really easy for people to order flowers as quickly as possible. We think it should take seconds. It should be as easy as sending a text message. With an app, it becomes much easier because your app knows lots of stuff about you. It knows your payment details. It knows your friends' and family's addresses. It knows their birthdays because it's all stored in your phone. So we can literally make it possible for you to order flowers um, in as little as 10 seconds. For unboxing, it's a little bit more about the emotion of receiving the product rather than the efficiency of sending it. And so... Obviously, there's the convenience of it coming through the letterbox, but actually we're about a lot more than that. We want the packaging to feel really special. We want opening up the box to feel serendipitous and different. And we want to put in touches of delight and care with everything we do. Those are a couple of our company values to make the experience brilliant for people. And actually, the number one way that people have discovered our company and become customers is by having been recipients uh, beforehand. The care and delight points are nice, and it reminds me, years ago I worked with um, Procter & Gamble, a very big company, obviously, with billions and billions of pounds worth of sales, and they really do push the whole notion of delighting their customers and all that. In terms of you, as you interact with your team that's delivering all these things, do you think you care and delight your own team in equal measure, and how would they describe working with you? Because you seem incredibly relaxed and reasonable. Thank you. I try to be. Um, I get stressed sometimes, but mm. I try to be reasonable. We um, we have these five values, care, delight, the others are innovation, pride and customers first. And they're meant to reflect our ways of working internally as well as externally. We talked about our net promoter score. We measure our employee net promoter score as well. It's, uh, it's not as high as our um, customer net promoter score, but they never are. Um, it's about 60, which we're really proud of. And it's been at that level for over a year. So, yeah, giving our team a great experience is super important. That's one of the biggest parts of my job now as well. And in one word, how would they describe you? That's a really difficult one. I think this isn't one word, but I think they think that I'm trying to do too many things at the same time. <laughs> that sounds very familiar. Stay with me for much more from Aaron Gelber, my business shaper today, CEO, co-founder at Bloom and Wild. I want to talk about money for a moment. Your business, like any young business, it doesn't talk about revenue, it doesn't talk about profit, because those things are only important in the old world. In the new world, we, we wait and we have patience, like we would do with any of the big, the big beer moths, the big, the big digital businesses. What have your investors invested in? if it isn't revenue, do you think? And the investments are £7 million plus, I believe, over the last uh, few years. 
What do you think they've bought into, Aaron? I think they've bought into our potential to build something brilliant with huge revenue in the future. And we've got really exciting revenue growth at the moment. Um, we're apparently the second fastest growing company in the UK, according to people who work out this kind of thing. Um, so I think we're, we're growing really quickly. And because we're growing, we're prepared to, to lose money for now. But we think there's an opportunity to build the world's best flower gifting company and to make our mission of making sending and receiving flowers the joy that it should be something that exists in the UK and lots of other countries. And I think our investors believe in that, believe that our team and our approach to technology can achieve it. And that's why they've backed us. And what about you and money? What's your relationship like? I mean, obviously, you've, you know, you've worked in pretty decent jobs before you took this on. Are you hoping that one day there'll be a beautiful financial silver lining to all the things that you're doing or is it not like that for you i don't think you can focus on like just the destination i think um it has to be about sort of the everyday enjoyment i think if you have an eye on your eye on a prize and that's where you run a business then i don't think you run it in an authentic way and i don't think you sort of run it in a way that will make it as successful as possible and um, i went with no salary for the first couple of years since we've raised uh, vc money i am able to pay myself a decent salary now and so um i live more comfortably i hope that the business will be really successful and then i'm sure we'll figure out a way for people who are shareholders to benefit from that but i'm not trying i don't have my eye on a prize and i don't want to sort of sell the company and then not work or anything like that. Mm. I want to carry on doing this. It's a real privilege to have this job. And in those early days, you said you didn't pay yourself a salary. How did you get by? Had you had you saved a bunch, basically? Simple as that. Saved a bunch, moved in with my then-girlfriend, now wife. We lived in a smaller flat, didn't go on as many holidays, cut back on stuff, and um, tried to make my savings last until we could raise money and I could start paying myself a salary. Did it get bumpy in those early days, or were you always sure that it was going to be okay? No, it was super bumpy lots of the time. One of the, the first big mistakes that I remember we made was we were paying a uh, box design company in southeast London £30 a box to make us prototypes of our now box. And this was super expensive for a product that was going to retail for less than that. So we asked them if they could make it cheaper, and they said they'd make it cheaper if we bought more of them. And we agreed a price of um, £2.70 per box for a 1,000 boxes. And so we spent £2,700 of our savings on those 1,000 boxes. And we thought that we'd figured out the design and this was going to save us lots of money. And we then sent out 20 of the boxes to uh, potential clients and all of the flowers arrived mouldy because the boxes didn't have ventilation in them, which was one of the things we hadn't considered. And so we actually had to get rid of the other 980 <laughs> boxes and it was a huge waste of money. So that was maybe the bumpiest early moment, but there were lots of them. And what's extraordinary is right now, you know, that you look back and that's under £3,000, a lot of money. But in the scheme of things, maybe it was a good price to pay to understand that ventilation was important. You can, I'm being philosophical on your behalf. I've no idea why. And you're looking at me going, thanks very much. That was yeah, a waste thanks. of money. <laughs> yeah, cheers, Elliot. Final chat coming up with Aaron. Plus, we'll be playing a track with Sarah Vaughan. Stay with me here on Jazz FM because it's all coming up in just a moment. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Some people do Shower, we 
I'm with Aaron Gelbard just for a few more minutes here on Jazz Shapers. He's the flower man. He brings happiness and a smile to your face. At least that's what he hopes when your his flowers come through your letterbox rather than waiting outside or being stolen by the neighbours if they're mean. That doesn't happen in your world, does it? No. It doesn't. It doesn't. Never. Um, you're now in year five. You've got decent funding. You've got your team. You've expanded internationally. All the, It feels to me, looking at this from outside, obviously, that the pieces are in place what does one do now to ensure that you maximise those fundamentals which you spent time building? We need to continue to make the customer experience better and better in at every touch point. So this is our packaging, this is our floristry, it's our uh, technology, our app, which we talked about a little earlier, our marketing, um, everything. One of the things we're doing to keep it fresh is trying to do lots of collaborations to make it exciting for our customers, get them coming back, ordering again keeping it interesting. One of the collaborations I'm really excited about that we're doing at the moment is with Liberty London. Liberty are famous for their Liberty prints, which have got floral designs. And we've taken those floral designs and put them onto our packaging. So the packaging isn't plain anymore. It's Liberty print for these collections. And then the flowers inside the box match the Liberty print packaging and customers seem to really love it. It's really innovative. Innovation is one of our values. And it's really exciting and different and I'd love to come up with more stuff like that. And the collabs and people talk about collaborations in fashion and they talk about them across across every industry at, at the moment. It seems to be very uh, fashionable. How do you approach those? Is it literally, oh, why didn't we do that? And Should we just go and talk to them? Or is it about people approaching you as well? A lot of people approach us. To be honest, most collaborations are in band now um, and we need to be disciplined. There are a lot that aren't right for whatever reason or there are some that are too similar to others, so we need to keep it mixed up. I think it's important for us to do the outbound ones as well because you can be more strategic about what's going to be really valuable for your customers rather than if you're inbound only, then it's more opportunistic and you just do whatever comes in, but you don't really think about how it fits together with your broader goals for your business. And competition-wise, there's all sorts of people nibbling around uh, doing things. How do you do? You keep are you interested in what they're doing, or is it more about saying we're going to do what we're doing based on our values and our approach? It's about saying we're going to do what we're doing. I think there are lots of other great flower companies out there. There are big flower companies that have been there for a long time. There are other new flower companies that have uh, started to do things in a different way. You've been quoted, I think, as saying that you will overtake into Flora one day. It might take you five years, but you're going to do it. I mean, that's a pretty audacious statement. Do you stand by that? Stand by it. That's my goal. I think Interflora does some things really well. They've been around for a long time. Everybody's heard of them. And because they partner with local florists, you can get their flowers very quickly anywhere in the country. I think there's all sorts of other stuff that we do better. I think it, we make it better user experience. Our prices are less expensive because we have a more efficient supply chain. We have more special floristry and packaging, which is seasonal changes regularly. We but you can do the, the scale, box. and the scale thing is one, the one thing I'm interested in. That, that you, think you can manage. Why not? We've got the best net promoter score. Clients love us. People who've heard of us won't go elsewhere. They really like it. It's just about getting the word out there. Aaron, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. Thank you for your time. And Thank good you. luck with your mission to make the world happy. Thank you. Um, you seem to be doing a good job so far. Just before I let you go, what's your song choice and why have you chosen it? My song choice is L-O-V-E by Nat King Cole. It's a brilliant song. And all of our guests at our wedding uh, surprised us. Uh, the lights went off and they did a flash mob to this song. Um, a few of them sung it and it was brilliant. 
L is for the way you look at me. O is for the only one I see. V is very, very extraordinary. That was Nat King Cole with L-O-V-E, the song choice of my business shaper, Aaron Gelbard. Someone who discovered that there was this thing called a product function, and he's really worked out how to make the very best product for him. Someone who's brave enough to ask his employees whether they're happy, a net promoter score internally, not a bad idea. And someone also who's really interested in the power of collaboration to build his own brand and all those interesting things he's doing with Liberty and the like. All really, really good stuff. That's it from me and Jazz Shapers. Have a fantastic weekend. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. We hope you enjoyed that edition of Jazz Shapers. You'll find hundreds more guests available to listen to in our archive. To find out more, just search Jazz Shapers in iTunes or head over to mishkondorea.com forward slash jazz shapers.